As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you all for joining me today. The most recent news, obviously, is that the trade deadline has passed. The Bills made a couple of moves, and we'll get into all of that, as well as getting you prepped and ready for Bills versus Jets, a team of two AFC East a, a game of two AFC East teams with winning records and uh, whether or not the Jets could actually pose a threat to what the Bills are trying to do this week. And and certainly if uh, they might be, uh, you know, at all a threat to push the Bills down to an 0-2 start within the division. So we'll, uh, we'll get into that uh, later on in the show. Uh, we will talk with our Jets beat writer, at the Athletic, Zach Rosenblatt does a great job covering the Jets for us. Very funny guy. So uh, I encourage you to listen to what he has to say about the Jets because they are a very intriguing team with how uh, how they're kind of structured, how well coached they are. You know, the defense is obviously a pretty good thing, but uh, but yeah, that offense is is a weird thing. So we'll break it all down with Zach in, in just a bit here, but. The topic at hand, obviously, is the trade deadline and what the Bills were able to do and maybe even what's to come. Of course, the deadline is done. They can no longer acquire a player via trade. They, In order to uh, sign or claim another player, they would have to see that player released or already be on the free agent market and then bring in that uh bring in that player via waivers or uh, or signing them as a flat-out free agent. But the Bills did make a, a pretty noteworthy move, I would say. They had been rumored to be involved with running backs and, and in talks with running or at least reaching out to teams uh, to gauge what the availability was of certain big-name running backs like Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara. Those two guys, it really never came to fruition. Brandon Bean said on Wednesday that they never actually made an offer for McCaffrey, and after they had called on Alvin Kamara, they had never heard back, and that uh, Bean said he had he did not speak with, uh, uh, with the Saints GM. So... But they were interested at the, at the point of making a cold call, so to speak, just to see. You know, you do that sometimes, just to just to try and figure out whether or not uh, it's something that could work for you. But the Bills were able to land a receiving style running back in Naheem Hines from the Indianapolis Colts, giving up Zach Moss. We will never forget the summer of RB1, Zach Moss. Uh, he's off to Indianapolis and uh, also a conditional sixth-round pick. 
um, from the Bills going to the Colts. So not a huge cost when you think about what they're getting for a Super Bowl year. Like they're not giving up a an early day three pick. They're not giving up a a, a day two pick. Well, I I mean I guess they are in in Zach Moss, but it it became increasingly clear that Zach Moss, if all things were equal, would not really make a difference um, in their Super Bowl run. Devin Singletary was clearly the lead guy. The way that it was structured, James Cook had clearly passed Zach Moss in two different occasions where Moss was a healthy scratch uh, for the Chiefs game. And then he was a non-participant on either offense or special teams against the Packers, even though he was active. The writing was on the wall for, for Zach Moss. So they go out and they get a guy like Naheem Hines, who I think is quite intriguing for how he can fit the Bills. And obviously, one of my... One of the first things I, I do whenever they add a new player is I go and watch a bunch of the film just to see who he is, what he can be, what what potential, um, I guess, packages he could be in. And I came away pretty impressed, not only at his skill set, but also in trying to translate that into how the Bills might use him. The Colts... Just they were caught in between wanting to use him as this uh, dynamic runner slash receiver, but also being committed to, you know, running the ball a ton. And then not really having great quarterback play along with it. It's just Indianapolis is, is a bit of a mess right now. And uh, I mean, their record certainly indicates that, but even more so the, uh, it just seems like they're fishing for an identity, mostly due to the fact that they don't have an answer at quarterback. And um, Jonathan Taylor has been banged up a bit this year. It just just hasn't gone well for them. But Hines is intriguing in a lot of different ways from a Bills perspective. You know, obviously. The first question is, okay, what does this mean for the running back room in general? I do believe Devin Singletary will still be the starter every week. I believe he will likely lead the uh, running backs in snaps week in and week out. But I don't know that once Hines gets fully acclimated, that it will continue to be this 75 to 90% snap share that Singletary had been rolling with at the end of last year, and then um, certainly how it's kind of evolved this season for the Bills. They like Devin Singletary. But as we've pointed out throughout the offseason, and even past offseasons, they have been trying to maybe not replace him totally, but they have been trying to replace his uh, hold on a pass-catching role for two years now. Think back to the Travis Etienne rumors, and then J.D. McKissick, and then, you know, even Brandon Bean this week told reporters that even before they went out and signed J.D. McKissick, they called up the Colts to check in about Naheem Hines. So it was pretty clear that Hines has been a target for them. And Hines might have even been a preferred target for them based on what he can do. So what is his capability as a runner? I, I'm looking at a couple of different things here because I see the way that the Colts used him. It was never really a locked-in, you know, starting running back he's never really had the chance at at that top role but I think how they use him in spots and you know having the quarterback and shotgun and being able to catch the the defense off guard with with maybe a uh, a handoff a delayed handoff to Hines and seeing what he can do with all his speed that's that was something that uh was effective for the Colts 
But I think the more dynamic element to it is what you can do with him when you have two running backs on the field, potentially. This has been something that I think the Bills have wanted to do this season, but I just don't know that they could fully trust a rookie player in James Cook to be able to handle those responsibilities um, or a, a big responsibility. He's definitely gotten a little bit more acclimated, but as we have seen time and time again with a Sean McDermott-led team, they really don't like to put a huge thing, a huge workload on a rookie's plate, on a first-year player's plate. There just haven't been all that many examples. I mean, Tremaine Edmonds and Tredavious White are the two that started right from the get-go. But pretty much all the rest have had to try and work their way in. So Hines, to me, I don't think he all the way replaces James Cook. I, I still think they might want to filter in James Cook for a couple of snaps. But I think there is more of a more of a likelihood that Cook kind of evolves into what Zach Moss was last week, where he's a break glass in case of emergency sort of guy. I don't think that'll happen this week because, you know, uh, what what is it, three practices? Not really a, a long time to get acclimated ahead of a game. But once Hines starts getting in the flow of things, I think that's that's where he begins to make make his mark. And that two running back set, when you think about the idea of having Devin Singletary and Naheem Hines, uh, let's say Josh Allen is in shotgun, Hines is on one side, uh, Singletary is on the other side. The defense has to be cognizant of the run. Split out wide, you have Stefan Diggs and uh, Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis. And then Dawson Knox at tight end. That that makes it such an alarming thing for a defense because not only do you have to account for the run as well as the Bills being in shotgun and having like four different pass catching options, legitimate pass catching options out there, even though one is lined up in the backfield. But then it kind of puts a strain on a defense as to how they want to operate. In those instances, do they stay in nickel and keep a smaller guy on the field? Because most defenses, most teams still go back and forth between base and and nickel based on um, what the offense is putting in their huddle, the personnel the offense is putting in their huddle. The Bills do not do that. The Bills have been basically close to a 100% nickel defense as their base for the last or all of last year and then for all of this year too. So it puts the strain on the defense to try and make a decision right there. What what do you do? Do you bring on that that nickel corner or you keep him on and, you know, sacrifice size? Or do you bring on that base linebacker because with two running backs, there's more of a capability to run? And then furthermore, the Bills can kind of pick and choose what they want to do from that point forward because based on what the defense is giving them from a personnel perspective, that allows them to take the option to run it at a at a smaller guy or to flex out or to you know motion a guy like Hines out of the backfield uh to the uh, to the slot receiver position so to speak and then if the defense is in man you get a lineup you get a matchup between Naheem Hines and a safety or a linebacker which favors Naheem Hines every time or if it's against zone then you have an, a shifty enough receiver that can find those 
soft spots, which he has shown to do throughout his career, and then still be able to uh, get yards after catch with his explosiveness. And that's still coming against a bigger player that probably isn't as quick, whether it be a safety or, um, or a linebacker. There are exceptions for some teams, like some guys have linebackers that are super quick that can stick with running backs like that, but the speed of Hines really stands out here as to why he was such a, a target for the Bills in both this trade deadline and even in the offseason leading up to the whole J.D. McKissick ordeal. So that's one way that I think it's really fascinating to use him. The other ways, uh, obviously, I think punt returning is going to be, um, I don't know if they'll give it to him right away, but it feels like they would rather have a guy who has done it for a long time, like Hines, as opposed to a rookie in such a huge year. Veteran players are more, I guess, trained to deal with mistakes than a rookie player in such a pressurized situation, a pressurized season. So I think that would be probably part of Naheem Hines' role in Buffalo. But on top of of both those things... I'm fascinated by them potentially using him or at least having him moonlight as a slot receiver. It's something I read uh, my colleague, uh, Zach Kiefer, who covers the Colts for us at The Athletic, reached out to me and said, hey, Naheem Hines is great. You're going to love him. He's a great talker, great guy, everything like that. Um, so then I kind of I kind of asked him what went wrong and like why... Why did they, uh, what, how did he do with the, those, uh, with the responsibilities that he had? And, you know, Zach was very glowing about, about what, uh, Naheem could do. And then, um, mentioned the idea, Hey, he can also play slot receiver. And that's the part of it. Then the Colts never really went to that, even when they had, a ton of wide receiver injuries early on in the season. I remember this being a thing in the fantasy football realm where people were just absolutely crying for them to take uh, Naheem Hines and to put him in a receiver role because he has the skill set to do it. He has the quick feet, which show up on film, and he's a pretty good route runner for... Or actually, he's an excellent route runner for being a running back, and... He can hold his own at a receiver position if they needed him to. But they didn't do that. Which was confounding in itself. But I don't know that the Bills would necessarily put Naheem Hines in a in a box and not even think about the idea of utilizing him as a potential slot receiver on sometimes. I'm you know, I, I did bring up the idea of of them motioning him out of the backfield in a two running back set, but I think there's also potential where, because of how inconsistent the slot receiver position has been this season, I think there's a real opportunity to take some snaps there for Hines just to get him more acclimated with or more involved in the team. Isaiah McKenzie so far, just point blank, has not done enough. The last or it, against the uh, against the Packers, he and Khalil Shakir combined for one catch and eight yards. Over the last two games with the uh, with those two guys, the. Two players, McKenzie and Shakir, combined for only four catches and 31 yards. McKenzie has only eclipsed 40 yards, really. That's, I just say 40 because that's a, a round number or an, an even number to remember, but he has only eclipsed 38 yards or more once 
Everything else has been below that this season. And that one game was really good. But one out of six is not really going to get the job done too too many times. And then Shakir, like we talked about with with, uh, James Cook, they don't really love to put a huge workload on rookies. I think they would much rather have him in a reserve role than anything. And that, to me, is an opening for how Naheem Hines could have a bit of a bigger role than maybe just a a backup running back. And I don't, I don't even know that I would call him a backup running back. I think we might see this Bills backfield become more of a 1A, 1B as, a por- as opposed to a 1, 2, 3. Because the Bills have usually wanted to go with the 1A, 1B approach, but they just haven't had a B to the A. <laughs> so now we get to see what it looks like with a Devin Singletary and Naheem Hines split. But if Hines can also couple those running back snaps with filling in at slot receiver someplace, oof, that's a that's a fun little team there. And once again, you don't you don't even need Naheem Hines to line up in the backfield for those snaps. If you put Hines on the field at the same time as a Devin Singletary, or even as a James Cook. You put those guys on at the same time. The defense has to make a choice right then and there. Are they going to stick with three linebackers or put another cornerback on the field? So it's just, it's a it's a chess piece for sure. And one that they did not have because Cook wasn't ready to be that guy just yet. But a fascinating fit. And how much potential it could bring. I could see some really big games from Naheem Hines um, down the stretch here. But the Hines part of it only kind of whets the appetite. Because if you think back um, to our trade deadline show, I mentioned four different positions that, uh, that the Bills could look into. Running back, which they went and got. A backup safety, which they went and got. Dean Marlowe. Um, yeah, the return of Dean Marlowe. Just made too much sense for it not to happen. Then the other two were backup offensive line, to which I asked Brandon Bean about the state of his offensive line and uh, uh, his his backups. And he used the line, you know, tackles just don't grow on trees. <laughs> and And teams aren't willing to just give up tackles for nothing. So it seems like something that the Bills knew that they were weak at, but the means to try and add one of those guys probably just wasn't wasn't the easiest way to go about it. And they would probably have to give up more than they were willing to to uh, bring in a backup offensive lineman. We'll see if it ends up biting them in the end, but yeah, it's they. It feels like they kind of know it's um, it's something that they could be better at. And then the other spot was wide receiver because I mentioned the McKenzie struggles, Shakir being a rookie. And how Naheem Hines could crack into that. But the interesting part about the uh, the wide receiver stuff is that throughout all the rumors, I don't recall one that linked the Bills to one of the receivers that would potentially be available via trade. Whether it was Chase Claypool, Brandon Cooks, Jerry Judy. You know, it seemed like all of the things that we heard or that were reported was that the Bills were looking at running backs. And that kind of gets your brain thinking a little bit because, I mean, look at the the wide receiver depth chart is, is good. It's definitely great at the top with Stefan Diggs. Got Gabe Davis, who is liable to go off in any given game. You know, it's kind of an inconsistent thing kind of a boom bust thing but from a from a statistical perspective I'll say he still serves a great purpose to the offense even when he's not putting up big numbers so he's still extremely valuable to them but after that there's a there's a legit drop off McKenzie like I said inconsistent you have to wonder 
how much longer that that uh, they would want to keep putting him in that role again and again. Khalil Shakir, rookie. Uh, Jake Kumaro, special teams guy. They cut Isaiah Hodgins to make room for uh, for Dean Marlowe and Tredavious White. And Hodgins has since been claimed by the Giants. So uh, <laughs> with the state of the Giants wide receiver depth chart, I'm not expecting him to be uh, released anytime soon. But it gets your brain going because the Bills can clearly uh, put themselves in a spot where they are better at receiver. But yet they weren't really inclined to do so via trade. So that has me wondering about this Odell Beckham stuff. And it was a topic of conversation during Brandon Bean's availability on Wednesday. In the past, he's kind of like sidestepped it a little bit. But on Wednesday, it felt like he stepped into it. And that is is a switch. At least just from the feel that I got from the press conference and, and how he was talking. He was legitimately giving hypotheticals and everything like that, where, you know, it comes down to, uh, it comes down to having to match role and make sure the role is right. Make sure the financials are right. There's more things to it than just, Hey, go get Odell Beckham jr. Because the bills are pretty up close to the cap as it, as it stands today. But Bean did say, he would be crazy not to look into it with Odell Beckham. I mean, they are in a great position. They're six and one. Their schedule down the stretch does not look menacing. Not many more extremely difficult games remaining. I mean, you could put the Vikings in that in that bucket, but I don't know. I still think the Vikings are a little pretenderish, despite their record. The Bengals, I think, will be an issue down the stretch. The The Dolphins will be another tough game in December. But outside of that, I mean, you got the Lions, Bears, Patriots twice, the Browns, the Jets twice. There's, there's not really that much more of a, of a difficult stretch for, um, for this team. Are they going to drop a game here or there? Probably, but... They should be favored the rest of the way. So sensing the opportunity, getting through the slog of that early schedule, and probably they should be undefeated right now, but they blew it in Miami. They they um, they definitely blew way too many opportunities. So they know they have a great team, and they've withstood injuries, lots of injuries. And through the toughest part of their schedule, where the Titans are now 5-2 and two and they blew them out. The Ravens are atop the AFC North. The Chiefs are obviously 5-2. and or They're obviously um, great. Let's see. what thing. I can't remember. Are they 6-2 and two now? Uh, no, they're 5-2. and two. So, the Bills are now battle-tested. To the point where they know they have a pretty good shot at the number one overall seed if if all things continue trending in this way. So the Odell Beckham stuff, it's been rumored that he wants to play for a Super Bowl contender. Buffalo is as good a Super Bowl contender as he's going to find. Especially with the role that he could potentially get with the Bills. I mean, that third receiver role, which is usually close to uh, an, a full-time role within the Bills' scheme because of how much 11 personnel they play. And Beckham can can slide inside. Stefan Diggs can slide inside. Uh, Gabe Davis can, can even play the slot when you need him to. Like Having those three guys would be just an unbelievable pairing. And then there was the extra piece, which was Brandon Bean going on SiriusXM this week, I believe it was on Thursday, and saying that he's been in touch with Beckham's rep- representatives. So, a lot of smoke right now. 
the role would be there. The uh, the opportunity to play on a potential Super Bowl player, a Super Bowl team would be there. The the Bills also wouldn't force him on the field immediately because they're in a good spot from a record perspective and they could allow him the time to heal and to get fully acclimated with the offense without being like, no, get out there, you're needed sort of thing. That pressure is off. So that way he could potentially peak right when the playoffs are near. And we all know Von Miller has been massively in support for Odell Beckham Jr. But this whole thing really starts to feel a bit more real than it did a few weeks ago. And the last piece of it is, okay, what could they do from a financial perspective to make it happen? Because they're so close to the cap right now. They would need to do some restructuring of contracts and pushing some money forward. But I think doing that and coupling it with signing Beckham to a contract that might just be a base salary or close to it and then giving Beckham all his money via a signing bonus and then putting multiple void years past it to break up the cap hit. I think that is probably the way that the Bills can get this done. Because it might affect you a little bit in the future. This is one of those years. And it's part of the thinking that I had during the trade deadline show that that we, we talked about last week. Or two weeks ago, I should say. If there was a year to push it all in and give up assets in terms of like draft picks to go get a, a great player, then I think this is the year. But since they didn't have to do that, now they can kind of transform the assets that they would have to spend into future cap space. And that's how they could go about, um, you know, pushing the chips all in as opposed to giving away a second or third round pick. So this Beckham stuff is very interesting. And the Bills are already the Super Bowl favorite right now without him. It's that it's that guy that just puts them over the top. And imagining it, an offense that's rolling out Beckham, Diggs, and, and Davis on a near every snap basis. And then maybe Naheem Hines in the backfield with Dawson Knox as the tight end and Josh Allen as the quarterback. My word is that a headache for, for opposing teams. And I think I think there is a legitimate chance that it happens. I really do. So what we're getting around that time where Beckham potentially makes his decision. You know, he um tore his ACL in uh in the playoffs and or in the Super Bowl, excuse me. So would he be ready to go? By the early to mid-December range, probably. Which means that getting him uh, to a spot or getting him to a team in the month of November probably makes a lot of sense. So the next few weeks will be enthralling from a uh, Odell Beckham perspective. Because I think I would tend to believe that the Bills have the the best shot of any team of landing him if they want to. But, you know, it all has to line up. So we will see. But uh, this is definitely, you know, beforehand, I didn't want to make a big deal about it because it's just like, okay, it's early season stuff. Von Miller's talking about his buddy from LA. Um, and, you know, whatever. At that point, the teams were like 1-0, one 1-1, and one and one, um the season hadn't even started at that point. But now with things defined and teams are really starting to show their identity and Buffalo being as dominant as they have been this season, Brandon Bean has 
every possible reason to go get that guy now. And Odell Beckham has every possible reason if he's looking for a Super Bowl contender and one of his best friends on a roster. Two of his best friends, really, if you count Tredavious White. It just, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of different reasons. So we will see how it kind of uh, evolves. All right. So uh, we will get to the Bills-Jets predictions in uh, in just a bit. But uh, just after this short break, we will uh, speak with uh, our buddy who covers the Jets, Zach Rosenblatt, does a great job. And, uh, and be sure to figure out and, and really listen to what he has to say about what has happened with the Jets and what has kind of led to such a, a nice start for them so far this season. So we will be, will we be, we will be back with Zach right after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, welcome back, and we are now joined by our Jets beat reporter here at The Athletic. His name is Zach Rosenblatt, does an awesome job covering the drama that are the New York Jets. It just seems like they have a way about them to fulfill that New York drama, the Broadway sort of, well, even though it's Jersey, but that New York (laughs) drama, Zach. Thanks so much for joining the Buffalo Beat today. Yeah, yeah. I I can't tell you how many times I've... uh had other beat writers who've been on the beat for a long time come up to be like welcome to the beat just like (laughs) another weird thing after weird thing happening you just when you think you're you're like oh nothing bad has happened for a while and then you have a receiver demanding a trade in the middle of a three-game winning streak so yeah it's kind of what we deal with over here yep there's (laughs) that and then also coupled with like the team's most dynamic young player going down with a season-ending injury yeah that's yeah we'll, we'll get there but uh but yeah, we're, the Bills and Jets has a little bit more teeth to it this year than it has in, in past years, or, or at least records would indicate. Vegas doesn't seem to think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but in terms of the Jets, what has been kind of their biggest reason for turning this thing around um, to 5-3? and three? I know the defense is certainly a big part of it, but how has uh, the head coach and the way that he's kind of uh, put things together there um been able to make them such a, a tough out for teams this year. Yeah, I, I think a big part of it is, you know, you look at, you mentioned the defense, like last year they were 32nd in like most categories. Um, they just didn't have the personnel. That That's what it came down to. And so the difference this year is talent more than anything. Like they added, this draft class was an absolute home run, like player after player has been contributing besides Jermaine Johnson, I guess. But, you know, Brees Hall, before he went, got hurt, as you just mentioned, he was he was on his way to winning uh, Rookie of the Year. Sauce Gardner has been even better than I could have imagined. Uh, Garrett Wilson is their number one receiver already. They signed DJ Reed, who's been stellar. Uh, they filled out the defense with guys who, like, knew Robert Sala's defense from San Francisco, like a bunch of veteran guys. And Quinn Williams is healthy and playing at an elite level. Uh, so so a, lot, a lot of it's talent. Uh, and the talent they needed to like make do the defense that they wanted to run because their defense, you know, it's they don't blitz at all. They have four man rushes all the time, and so they need the guys to dominate up front, and you need the secondary to hold their own on the back end. So they have two cornerbacks they can put on an island now, and they have a defensive line that can dominate. So their defense is keep is going to keep them in pretty much every game. I don't know about this one on Sunday, uh, and and they've been able to. That's why they've been able to overcome the quarterback, which I'm sure we're going to get to. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's that that's that's the that's the amazing thing. Um, because this team has the talent to be good. They just might not have the quarterback, which is just, I don't know. It's, it, they're finally good enough, and their quarterback is kind of holding them back, and, mm-hmm. it's, and it, it's wild. Yeah. Um, 
I I can't wait to jump into to Zach Wilson. But uh, the, the, <laughs> the first, before we get there, uh, you mentioned Quinn Williams, which is, I mean, he's been just a, a home wrecker <laughs> so far this year. Um, it's it's fascinating to me that these two teams, the, the Bills and the Jets, blitz at two of the lowest rates in the NFL. And, um, and they're so good at getting home. Um, so what... I know Quinn and Williams can't do it alone. Franklin Myers kind of pops out on film too as as someone that's that's pretty great. But how has Lawson kind of come back from his long-term injury and uh, and that rotation that they've got there along the line because they're very impressive. Yeah. I mean that that's the key. It's the it's the rotation aspect of it. You know, fans early in the season and last year they were like they hate they hate the rotation cuz hmm. you know, in theory you're taking your best players off the field for like a stretch of the game. But what it's done now is you're seeing like the the fruits of it because they have depth on the D-line. And so these guys are fresh at all times. So Carl Lawson has been really, really good. His kind of thing, even dating back to when he was in the Bengals, is that he gets a lot of QB hits and not a lot of sacks, and that's still kind of the case. Uh, but he, he's making an impact, and you mentioned JFM. He's been really good when he's not getting like penalties that kind of are back-breaking. Quinton Williams kind of opens everything up. Sheldon Rankins, the veteran, has been pretty solid on the inside. And then they have like a ro- some rotational guys like Bryce Huff and Jermaine Johnson when he's healthy that they can rotate in there that can make an impact. So um, like you mentioned, like it, it, you can't really – do this defense unless you have the the players up front. Like you just can't have a four man. You can't not blitz if you don't have defensive linemen who are going to like win. And and everybody's been winning for them. So it's uh these last five six weeks, it's been all about the D line for sure. What is uh who has been the biggest challenge that Sauce Gardner has gone up against so far? The big big like in terms of just like talent receiver, wise, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd say Jamar Chase. Oh, okay. How did, how did he fare in that Chase game? Very well. When 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 he was up against, he was like frustrating Jamar Chase because Sauce also likes to talk trash, mm. um, which is bold for a rookie, but it's worked out so far. Um, and so he was really frustrating Jamar. Like you saw Jamar even like you know shoving him out of the way. Like, um, <laughs> so he he did a really good job. He he really has you know he, he Mark Andrews he covered in week one. Like they throw him on tight end sometimes. Interesting. He, he had some amazing plays against Mark Andrews. There hasn't been a single player I could say that has like beat him beat him so far. And he would say, I mean, he's. It's funny, uh, Jeff Ulbrich, the defensive coordinator, says like he has the personality that like if if a guy got a catch on him, he'd be like, "Yeah, my shoelace was untied, or the wind was blowing weird." Like he wouldn't. <laughs> he's like, "No, nah, that he didn't beat me." <laughs> um, but yeah, but I mean, Diggs and and Davis are going to be probably the biggest test for him. Honestly, I, he he made it seem like he he thinks he's going to be covering Davis a lot. Okay. Um, I imagine I imagine the two of them probably move around quite a bit. Yeah, they do. So I'm sure he'll he'll get lined up on on digs a decent amount too. Yeah. Um. So that that this is going to be the real test for him, I think, because especially you have the, the the combination of quarterback and receiver because they've gotten kind of lucky with a lot of the quarterbacks this season. I think that contributed a little bit mm-hmm. to how dominant their defense has been. I think the talent is there, but you know it's mostly been backups plus like Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson who's lost to beat Aaron Rodgers. Um. And uh, yeah, so it, that that's going to be very interesting to me how he handles that. Digs loves when the opponent talks trash oh, as sure, as we yeah. saw on sunday <laughs> night with jair alexander you know those two guys really didn't go up head to head too much in, in that game but Diggs uh just has a certain um element to him where if if someone is talking shit to him he will yeah, he will yeah. go after it pr- pretty hard so i oh, yeah. i'm very fascinated to see how how he responds to the rookie doing that I've, I've, been, I've been waiting for that kind of thing to happen too where sauce like maybe you know it backfires on mm-hmm. him a little bit but I, I also think it's because he backs it up I, I i think i've noticed that the other like jamar chase after the game was like i mean he should be talking crap to me he was he was <laughs> like shutting me down like it, I, I think he he's earned a lot of respect so i'm curious to see like you said, because Diggs, you know, takes that and runs with it. Not every receiver does that, so mm-hmm. it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun one. Oh yes! All right, let we've gone far enough. Let's talk about Zach Wilson <laughs> because what a beautiful disaster he is, huh? Um, I mean, he. It seemed like the Jets were were really getting to something when Brees Hall was was going and and obviously being the the focal point of that offense, but and it's only been the. Uh, not that long since he has gone out and you really don't have much of a sample size, but what has it looked like without Brees and having to rely a bit more heavily on Zach Wilson? I mean, not good (laughs) (laughs) is the simple answer. Um, You know, their formula during their four game winning streak was run the ball a lot, get the ball to Brees Hall, whether it's in handing it off or throwing it to him because he was a good pass catcher. He was explosive. 
Um, and it was, you know, minimizing Zach Wilson's ability to make mistakes. Like they were just, you know, really simplifying the offense for him. You don't, it's not ideal that you have to do that this late in a set in number two overall picks career. He, I mean, he's started 19 games now, I think, or 18. Um, and so that, that was the formula. It was, you know, make it so he can't really make those mistakes that you saw last week. And, and then last week, the running game's not really getting going. Uh, the game's closed. They were, they were leading for a while, and they, they kind of went away from the run, which I was surprised by. But the problem is, so Zach Wilson, when he gets pressured, is the worst pressured quarterback. I think as, lo- as long as true media has been tracking, like, quarterbacks getting pressured, he's, like, the worst one since, like, 2000. Um, like, that's how badly it's, like, EPA, grade, on PFF, like, all of it. He, like, it, whatever it is, when, when the pocket breaks down and he gets out of the pocket – uh it's just an absolute disaster you know he once he has a real problem with moving on from his first read if the first read's not there he immediately runs if the first if the first read's not there sometimes he still throws it to the first read and then this last game was you know the worst thing that he that he's done and then the biggest concern i have is you know two of the interceptions he had were when he was trying to get out of the pocket when he should have just thrown it away nobody's open and he and he tries finding somebody and it's an easy pick the first one he claimed he tried throwing it out of bounds, which doesn't really make it much better because if you got to get it out of bounds, it shouldn't be that hard. Um, and then the second one, he's even admitted, and he, he he had a quote. He's had a quote back to back weeks actually, where he said, "You know, I I don't like throwing it away every time. Sometimes you know, I I have to throw it away, and I'm like I'm tired of throwing it away, and I want to make a play." Um, and the message that I think that they're trying to get across to him in the building is it's okay to be boring sometimes. Um, <laughs> Because, I, I mean, I, it, it was surprising to me that he admitted that, to mm-hmm. be honest. But, um, I don't know, it's, it's funny, you know, you you obviously covered Josh Allen, uh, who had, like, his own kind of struggles in the beginning of the years. But he also was, like, a threat running the ball, which made it a little bit different. So, um, like, anyone trying to compare them to, I don't think you could do that, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah, it's uh, it's alarming. I'm I'm concerned. You know, it, it's fixable in theory, the, the throwing away stuff. But, like, the other stuff you know, not being able to go beyond the first read is a problem. So. Yeah, that that um, even Josh's second year, even his first year, I mean, there were flashes of of like brilliance, no doubt. And, you know, there was one play um, in the game last week where uh, Zach hit Garrett Wilson on, on a deep pass. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, where, where did that come yeah. from? But he has the arm talent. It, for sure. Exactly. But I think I think where it kind of falls short of like, you know, people that want to make the Josh Allen comparison is like there's just there. Those flashes are just too few and far between with Zach as opposed to Josh. You know, you, you can see like five to six examples every game, even though he would like. I don't know, roll to his right and sling it across his body uh, to the other side of the field into the end zone. That that was early Josh. I called him Wyoming he, Josh. He's, he's also a physical specimen, yeah, though, too. True. Like, that's the difference. True, true, true. I, I will say, I mean, as you cover the Bills, I'm, I'm sure you laugh every time a quarterback starts his career bad. They're like, Josh Allen, yep. though. Like, it, it's like as if that's like uh, not the exception. It's like, oh, that it could happen to anybody. But no, he, he's like a very unique case. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a trope at this point. Um, I think yeah. I think uh, more than anything, um, watching watching Josh throughout his early stages, I'm like, all right, this this could go really badly because I've seen it go really badly so many times before here in Buffalo. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, Zach, I think. Um, what is the the pressure element to me is what is the most jaw dropping. I mean, when you have, like you pointed out, since two thousand being as bad as anyone yeah. or worse than anyone, I thought it was just this year. I, I went and checked uh, our guy Aaron Reese's notes uh, with. He does a great job compiling every week yeah. for us at True Media. Um, he he mentioned that you know seven for 31 for 128 yards and three interceptions when pressured without a blitz uh, i can't even imagine what it is with with a blitz so yeah. what is um i guess how are the jets trying to get through the post brees um and zach wilson offense like how did it look how did it feel um the first week with james robinson in tow and michael carter kind of being the guy and and what kind of identity are they trying to formulate without um, their identity? Yeah, well, by the, they also lost Elijah Vera Tucker Ooh, in the yeah, same game point. as Brees Hall, which was you know he's the, he was their MVP I think up until when he got hurt. So the offensive line is an issue, and you know just to circle back to the Zach thing real quick, like 
when he's in when he's clean and in the pocket, he's like top fifteen among quarterbacks. Like he's really he's actually pretty good when he has time. But I mean, you could say that about any quarterback. Mm-hmm. So, but so anyway, so how how they're handling it? You know, I it's it's still early, but I, I think they're they're really going to try and run the ball a lot. Um, they didn't really run again. They ran got away from the run a little quicker than I expected. And I imagine they might again if they fall behind to the Bills early because you kind of can't just run if you're down by two touchdowns. The Packers tried. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> they tried to run it all. Yeah, they ran it all through the second half for some insane reason. They also reason. have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Yeah, true that. <laughs> true that. Um, but, but, yeah, so, I mean, what I think one thing they tried to do is they tried to manufacture touches for Garrett Wilson, who he can make plays after the catch. He's really athletic. He's he's become a focus of other other defenses. You're seeing like them like send corners to follow him and stuff like that, so mm-hmm. he might not be there every week. Elijah Moore, I guess, is just not a part of the offense anymore, so they're not really getting him involved. So, I think you're going to try and just see them manufacture plays with their like explosive guys. They're going to try and get Braxton Berrios the ball out of the backfield. They're going to throw it to Garrett Wilson on slants and hope he makes some plays down the field. And if the offensive line can hold up, then they'll start taking more shots down the field. But uh, I can't imagine it will this week. They still are without a really you know NFL caliber right tackle right now. Um, Dwayne Brown's kind of been up and down because he's a little bit older, obviously. So it's uh, and the Bills' defensive line is obviously scary, as you know. And Von Miller, I, I think, is going to have a really easy time with that group. Yeah, if Von didn't practice on Thursday, so uh, McDermott's talking in, in a little bit here. We're recording this around nine fifteen on Friday, but uh, but yeah, it's um, if even if he does play and he's and he's uh, a little bit hampered by an injury, yeah, still should be still should be pretty okay. All right, I asked this question as the the final one of uh, Matt Schneidman last week, uh, who covers the Packers for us. If the Jets were to win this game, what does it look like? Somebody asked me that earlier in the week, too. I, uh, um, if the Jets were to win, what it looks like is, number one, Zach Wilson doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, number two, the, Jet, the Jets score first. Mm. Like they get on the board, and they're able to like run the ball and keep Josh Allen off the field as much as possible. I like those are the two things. I think if they score first and Zach Wilson doesn't turn the ball over, they have a chance to win the game. And and the defense maybe you force a turnover of Josh Allen, something like that. Um, that that's like the way. And re, and the reality is the only way they win is a lot of luck and the and you know they're perfect or the, the Bills just look past them kind of thing. Like that's the only reality. But yeah, I mean the thing is like you know if Zach Wilson doesn't have the game he had last week. That we we might be even like talking a little bit differently about this game and where maybe can the Jets upset the the Bills? I, I don't think anybody thinks they can just purely based on how Zach Wilson played last mm-hmm. week. So if if he's good, then I mean maybe they have a chance. I don't know. Yeah, the uh, the Zach Wilson no turnover element seems to be the the biggest flaw in that Number plan. One. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. All right, Zach, thank you so much uh, for doing this. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on. So that's Zach uh, Rosenblatt. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and read up on all of his uh, Jets writing over at The Athletic. And if you haven't subscribed yet, head over to to theathletic.com and do so. We'll be right back after this. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so great stuff from Zach there about the Jets and I guess some of the uh, anxiety that Zach Wilson provides uh, the Jets from a week-to-week basis. Uh, certainly not a, uh, a great situation, a great quarterback situation, and um, definitely some of the stats that, that really back it up uh, will, will kind of open your eyes as to seeing how bad this guy has really been so far this year if if uh zach's stat about being 
one of the worst since 2000 in a specific category is wasn't enough for you. But uh, so it's now time for the Shaq Lawson meditation prediction hour. Uh, the this game the line has continued to to uh, kind of favor heavily the Bills um, once again this week they are eleven point favorites the total on the game is forty six I believe that has come down from early in the week um, but yes Bills are double digit favorites once again and we'll see whether or not that they can actually live up to beating the spread this week because they did not last time. It was a uh, a Packers cover, barely, a barely backdoor Packers cover, but uh, a, a cover nonetheless. So when I look at this matchup, I'll start with the positives for the Jets. Their defensive line is awesome. Quinnen Williams is great. He's going to give trouble to Roger Saffold. Uh, he's going to give trouble to Mitch Morse. He's going to give trouble to Ryan Bates. Like They're going to need to get two hats on him at all times, but the rest of the defensive line is so good that they are inevitably going to allow Quinnen Williams to get a one-on-one at some point. And, and uh, I could definitely see uh, Josh Allen and the offensive line getting a little frustrated early on by, by what the Jets are able to do up front. Uh, Franklin Myers off the edge has been really good this year. Um, same thing with Carl Lawson. Uh, he has been solid at, at getting pressure on the quarterback. Uh, Lawson, you know, for what Zach kind of pointed out to us about how he's great at getting the pressure but not necessarily bringing down the quarterback, that seems eerily reminiscent of what maybe the Bills had with Jerry Hughes over the past few years because he was really good. And by the way, Jerry Hughes just collected his seventh sack of the year uh, on Thursday night. So uh, Hughes still has plenty of game left in him. But that defensive line and certainly the secondary is reason enough to think that the Jets can frustrate the Bills offensively a little bit. Um, Maybe it's fewer drives converted into touchdowns that become field goals. I think there there should be a healthy respect for this um, this Jets defense. And I do think there are some some good matchups for them. Um, you know, Franklin Myers working on the edge against David Quesenberry. It's going to be another one of those weeks where the Bills are going to have to help Quesenberry because, you know, after watching the film against the Packers, didn't go as well as maybe you would think it did um, just based on the way that Rashawn Gary didn't have a tackle or didn't have a, a sack or a pressure or anything like that. But, you know, he was still winning his matchups against Quesenberry and forcing the issue against the Bills. Uh, So I think that is another element to where if Spencer Brown can't play, which he did not practice on Thursday, I'm recording this just before I'm about to leave for practice on Friday. So if he cannot play, then this, this turns into another positive for the Jets. So I think, I think the Jets can keep it, somewhat within range but where it really just falls off the a cliff for me is trying to envision a way that the bills lose to a zach wilson led team you know it it's weirder stuff has happened they lost to trevor lawrence in his rookie year after he was struggling and with urban meyer as the head coach but i think that team in jacksonville last year is a far cry from what the bills are Today and even without some pieces, like Sean McDermott just ruled out uh, Jordan Poyer from uh, from the game against the Jets, so that's something that the Bills are going to have to overcome, probably with uh, Demar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson being the starters. But they've also started a game together. Um, they started against the Dolphins. I think this is a an incredible opportunity for the Bills defense to make another statement, and it all starts with. The four guys up front. Von Miller didn't practice on Thursday due to an ankle injury. Sean McDermott did not rule him out for the game. Uh, He was working along the side. uh, Miller was uh, on Wednesday during practice. So it's not as though he's been immobilized completely. But it just, it just, uh, we'll have to see how it kind of goes. 
but even you know with or without Miller, obviously with Miller, it would be it would be a great asset to their pass rush. But the defensive line should have a lot of success against this Jets offensive line. Really, their lone source of strength so far this year has been their center, Connor McGovern. And what they trotted out last week with uh, their left tackle, Brown, um, left guard, Lakin Tomlinson, right guard, uh, Nate Herbig, and uh, their right tackle, I'm going to butcher his name, Abuhi, I believe is is how you pronounce it. Um, those four guys look like severe liabilities to the point where Miller, Greg Rousseau, Epinesa, Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, these guys should all be eligible to get a one-on-one at some point. And I think they're, it massively sways in their favor with uh, getting into the pocket and impacting Zach Wilson. And this leads to the next point because Zach Wilson, when pressured by a non-blitz, is horrific. And I'm not being hyperbolic. This season, and and uh, kudos to, um, and, and I mentioned this stat with, um, with Zach, so you might have heard it, but this season, when Zach Wilson is pressured without a blitz, he has gone 7 of 31 for 128 yards and three interceptions. That is a completion percentage of 22.6. That is horrible stuff. And the, the Bills do not blitz. They they blitz at the lowest rate in the league at 12.1%. They still get a ton of pressure, and they should get a lot of pressure against, uh, against the Jets and Zach Wilson. And when Zach Wilson is holding the ball for over two and a half seconds and and not coming off that first read like like Zach was talking about a few minutes ago, it it doesn't go well. He's 31st in expected points added per dropback uh, for quarterbacks with a minimum of 100 dropbacks this season. Wilson has been all world's bad. And just watching him on film, I just don't know if there is some an elixir for him to to make it happen in this game because the running game isn't going the the blocking up front has been poor and he he tends to make mistakes when he hangs on to the ball so if the bills can get him to go through his first read to where he's not comfortable anymore and make him kind of keep backing up backing up backing up and maybe even leaving the pocket this is this has a lot of errant throws and turnovers written all over it. So this is all a long-winded point to say that I've got the Bills winning this game. I think that's that's pretty obvious in, in how I've been talking. I have them covering as well. And my final score in this one is a little bit weird, but I have a specific instance in mind where the um, I've got the Bills winning 30 to 12, so the under because the total is 46 points. But I don't think the Jets are going to have a ton of success moving the ball against the Bills. And, you know, maybe they do early on get a couple of field goals. Um, but I think a lot of turnovers might wind up forcing their hand to throw it a bunch. And that's where I think things could get a little bit ugly for the Jets. So I put, I gave the Bills 30 points. That's with respect to what the Jets do defensively. Because I think they are really good on that side of the ball. And, you know, 30 points is not indicative of their defense. I think there could be a lot of shortened field situations where the Bills get get the ball and, and you know, maybe they only have like 30, 40 yards and they just march it into the end zone. And, you know, not as much on the defense's fault because obviously the offense is putting them in a bad position. But that's where I kind of land for this game. And then... You know, maybe a, a late game garbage time touchdown for the Jets and a missed two point uh, chance is how I landed on twelve. I know, very hyper specific, but that's what we do here. That's that's part of the the charm of uh, being super nerdy and uh, thinking way too much about this stuff. Um, 
I could see the Bills putting up more than 30. I could see high 30s into the 40s. Uh, just really if um, if the turnovers go even further than maybe I'm thinking. But uh, I do respect what the Jets do defensively. So I, I've, I've got the Bills scoring only 30 points in this game. Only 30 points. <laughs> it's kind of funny to say. All right. Uh, so Bills victory, Bills cover, and the under are my picks by a score of 30 to 12. That'll do it for me here on this episode of the Buffalo Beat. Uh, the next time you will hear from me will be after the Bills-Jets game. I will be in one of the uh, the broadcast booths at uh, MetLife Stadium. It's a 1 o'clock game, so it will not be 3.30 in the morning, which is a win for me, <laughs> uh, even though those ones tend to get loopy from time to time. But yes, I will uh, speak with you all after the game, and we'll see if the Bills can win their fifth straight, get the 7-1, and one, and claim their first win over an AFC East team this year. All right. We will, uh, we will talk to you then. My name is Joe Pascalia. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and talk to you after the game.